You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Interstate Battery retail stores all over the United States. So whether you need a a new truck battery, which, by the way, I've heard that they are some of the best in the automotive industry, right? A truck battery, a car battery. If you need batteries for something as simple as a remote control or a unique battery for a rangefinder or one of your children's toys, uh, Interstate Batteries not only has those batteries available, if they don't have them, they can order them for you. Or if you need to find out more about a specific battery battery or the specs of a specific battery, stop into their retail store and talk with a battery specialist. These guys are very knowledgeable about what products they offer and what it is that you need for whatever battery you're looking for. So stop in to a local retail store or visit interstatebatteries.com to learn more about their company, the batteries that they offer, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So check out interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome, folks, to the Freshwater Bite Podcast, your source for everything freshwater fishing. I'm your host, Lee Kleino, and on this podcast, you will hear from diehard anglers like yourself, the backstories of those anglers, techniques they use, gear reviews, and everything in between. So if you like fishing, turn it up, because this episode's about to kick off right now. Hi there, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. As always, I hope you guys are doing well. And on this episode, I have back on a guest, um, Joe Testa from Freshwater Therapy, which is a guiding service that Joe runs out of both Michigan and over in the state of New York. And the reason why I had Joe back on is one, he's got, uh, he's starting a brand new uh, YouTube channel, which I think you should all go and check out. And secondly, I think Joe had a year under his belt with Garmin's new live scope. And this is something that I think is, it's great to hear it from someone who's honest. And Joe tells you his growing pains of what he learned from the first year, kind of getting used to live scope, how he's seen it evolve uh, in his hands over the past year and how he you know how it changed for him to use it this season and he kind of talks about some of the growing pains and uh some of the things that he's learned to hopefully make your um decision whether to buy it or not easier and or if you do have it hopefully to work some of um work through some of the the growing pains to understand it to use it to its full capability because it is expensive um i personally do not have one but I had a lot of questions to ask Joe, and uh, I was really happy to have him on. And he took a lot of time to explain uh, the ups and downs of it. And it sounds like he's got it pretty dialed in now. And he talks about how you can use it both for open water and on the ice. So give it up for my guest, Joe Testa from Freshwater Therapy. Here we go. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, It's almost been almost a year since I had you on. It was last January, I think. Is that right? Yeah. It's yeah. amazing how uh, crazy this year has been, hasn't it? I oh, mean, it looks a little bit different since the last time we talked. It does. I know. I know. Uh, I, I wish I could have predicted this one because 
I would never have seen this coming in a million years. No, nobody could. We all got punched in the face. Um, how did you, how did your guiding season go this year? Talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the challenges you faced and hopefully, uh, you thrived during this time. Man, we had a great season, honestly. I mean, I had, uh, I think I did 108 trips last year and I did 105 this year. And the only thing that was different is the stuff I do out in upstate New York, it got truncated, but I ended up being out there for five weeks instead of 10 weeks. And I did 70 trips in five weeks. Wow. That's like, yeah, it's more than half of your trips. Yeah. No, it's, it's kind of how I structure things because I don't have to travel when I'm out there. My boat's in the water all the time. And, um, it's just a lot easier to, to, to do everything when you don't have to trailer a boat around. So, okay. So, yeah, so, so you I said, did, no, you said normally you spend 10 weeks out there. Yeah. And is it just guiding all the time? No, actually I run a, a Christian leadership program for college students. The other, that's really my full-time job. And then, and then, um, I, I do that on the, I guide on the side. So my guiding in New York, I, I do shorter trips, usually morning and evening. And, uh, but this past summer, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I do in ministry was kind of, it, it just wasn't really much happening at all. And I could, most of it was happening on, uh, you know, remotely over zoom and that kind of thing. So I ended up having, uh, just a lot of trips that I squeezed in. So I had some days I did two, some days I did three, some days I did four. Um, it was, uh, it was really good. We, I learned a lot. You know, I, I got a chance to really develop my skill set with the, the, the Garmin live scope out there. And, um, and then I brought it back to Michigan and I've owned the, uh, a live scope now for two years, but I didn't really get my boat set up with it last year to use it well. And, uh, this year, um, I am, I really got dialed in on it. And so I learned a ton and I, I just think like that was probably one of the most exciting things for me is just all of the, the learning that went on, just watching how fish are responding to the things we're doing. Um, so yeah, I, I could talk for a long time on it, honestly. No, I, that, that's great. This is a great spot to start actually. So rewind a little bit, talk about your last year setup for your live scope versus this year and kind of like what you learned between the two seasons or between the two years. Okay. So one of the, one of the things that was different last year is I had it mounted to the, the shaft of just my trolling motor. And I had a, um, I had a Minn Kota, uh, all that I sold and I bought the Garmin force this year. And I did that just to simplify things. Not that the Altrex, my experience with the Altrex wasn't bad. Um, but when you put the, the, the uh, transducer on the shaft of the trolling motor and you, and you use an anchor feature, the motor is going to move as it's trying to stay on a spot. Right. And, and so what you have is you have this panning back and forth um, and you're not getting a, a lock on your, on your, um, on your lure or your jig or whatever you're fishing with. And so it's really easy to kind of just become a little bit frustrated with it and not, not use it a lot. Um, and so what I did this year is I bought a separate mount that actually attaches to the trolling motor. It attaches to kind of the neck of the trolling motor, if you will. And, um, I was just going to try to figure out, I, I can never remember the name of, of the company that built it. But it screws up into the neck of the trolling motor. There's actually um, 
uh, a mounting spot for it on on the Altrex and on the the Force, and it it just sits off to the side of the trolling motor, almost parallel with the shaft. And there's a little there's a you, you can turn it uh, back and forth, and or you can just kind of keep it pointed forward, which is what I typically do. And the way the the Garmin um, Live Scope works is it's actually about a 135 degree angle that it showed shoots out in front of the boat and it actually shoots down on straight down under the boat and actually shoots back a little bit under the boat too so you get like you get a bigger picture of what's going on and for years you know it makes so much sense that that's that these companies are doing this now because for guys like you and me i i very rarely fish directly under the boat i'm almost always casting out in front of the boat or to the side of the boat um, I do some stuff that's, you know, I, I do some things that are vertical presentations, but not very often. Right. Um, you know, we do a little bit of stuff, you know, like on the Detroit River where we vertical jig or or maybe uh, I drop shot in the summer for smallmouth in deep water. And sometimes we do some of that stuff vertical. But most of the stuff we're doing, we're casting and we never can see what's going on out in front of the boat. So up until this point, almost all of the stuff that we've been using has been just to kind of get a sense of where we're at, you know, what what are the what's the structure like underneath the boat, but we're not really seeing out in front of the boat or the side of the boat where we're actually casting, and and so the the beauty of the uh, have you used the the the, um, the live scope, Lee? I don't no. know. No, no, okay. I haven't. But to be honest with you, man, this and you know when, when this first came out. Um, obviously <clears throat> pan optics came out first and that's different than life scope or is that connected to the same one? That's what well, they call it. The pan optics has, um, has like, they have a live scope. They have, um, a couple other transducers that still kind of have uh, a live image, but the, the newest transducer that they've developed gives you the crispest kind of the, the most, uh, defined image that, that, that they've come up with with so, to this point okay so it's probably a step up from panoptics yeah so so they still again they call it panoptics live scope the other transducers they used were just a different transducers that they i think they still actually sell but they're just they don't give you the same the same clarity and um they're also not as expensive so right now like if you look at the live scope when you have a fish swim through you can see what kind of i mean you can see the profile of, of the fish and you can oftentimes tell how big the fish is. Um, you can see how many fish there are. Uh, I can tell the difference between a smallmouth and a walleye oftentimes, or what I would consider a bass or a, like a walleye. Um, and I definitely can tell the difference in sizes too. Like I can tell, you know, if I'm seeing a bigger fish versus a smaller fish. Um, I can see if they're swimming toward me or away from me. Uh, the stuff I did this summer, I fish a lot of finesse type of, of, ba- of baits and techniques out in upstate New York. And I know, um, you know, not everybody that's listening is probably going to be a huge smallmouth fan, but I, I really love fishing a hair jig. I use that Marabou hair jig. I bought some in the past. Now I tie my own and I could see where the bass were and I could cast to them and I could watch my jig fall and I could see them come up and eat it. Or I could see like uh, one of the big things I learned this summer is a lot of times the smallmouth um, they're suspended, which is a no brainer, right? But if they're suspended, the things that you're doing to try to catch them. And if you're specifically targeting the bottom, they might not be interested in keying in on what's on the bottom. And so those kinds of things really helped me to, to be more successful this summer. 
And, uh, and so then, um, I, um, I brought that back that I just, you know, I had the technology in my boat and I was really interested to see what would happen if, uh, what, if I was fishing walleyes. Mm -hmm. And what I found was, uh, it was incredible. I some of my first experiences on the water this fall with walleye fishing, we saw a lot of walleyes interacting with our baits. And so we were throwing, you know, jerk baits and I'd have five walleyes chasing my jerk baits and they would kind of be like swimming in and around the jerk bait. And if you had that happen, you knew you were going to get bit. You knew if you had more than one fish on the screen, something was going to happen. And I'm, I'm just blown away by it. I mean, I, I did get some video footage, but not as much as I was hoping to. Okay. I could have put so many videos together that would have just been off the charts and I'm kicking myself, but that's one of the goals as we move forward um, with some of the new things I was talking with you about. I'm launching a, a YouTube channel. We've already launched it. I'm partnering with a young videographer, a friend of ours. Yeah. And um, he's awesome. And, uh, and so we're really excited about kind of seeing how that could develop. It's not just going to be fishing for one species either or one one type of fish we're gonna fish for walleyes we're gonna fish for smallmouth we're gonna we're gonna do some some videos targeting big panfish um we want to hit a bunch of different things to kind of help as many different kinds of fishermen that fish for all these different kinds of fish and so um but getting back to the 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 live scope one other thought before we maybe move in a different direction is the what I did see this summer too, or I'm sorry, this fall with fishing for walleyes, is I saw them um, how they were interacting with my jig too. And so you know I fished a lot of plastics, um, jig and jig and plastics for walleyes, and a number of times I saw fish follow me in, and when I dropped my bait to the bottom, they ate it. Okay. Which was, uh, you know, like a huge. I mean, for me, the two things that it did was. I, I saw what I a lot of times what I was doing wrong in a cadence maybe or what what the panoptics live scope gave me the ability to discern too is I I just when I saw fish in the area and I knew they were walleyes out in front of me it just gave me confidence to stay in that area and keep fishing and a lot of times if we saw fish we caught them if they were you know, whether it was on a cast straight out in front of the boat or if those fish were kind of swimming around and moving in the area, we, we would sit in an area for a little while and we would, you know, we would make contact with more and more fish. And so if I wasn't seeing fish, I didn't stick around. Okay. Um, so, so I got a couple questions for you cause yeah. you co- covered a lot of ground there. One Sorry. is I want to get back to, um, the suspended smallmouth because this is something okay. that a lot of fish even do like in the dog days of summer, they talk about the fish go out to the deeper part of water. They suspend. What did you learn when those fish were suspended and what did the panoptics kind of show you, um, on how to target and go after those fish? Cause like you said, they didn't want to feed down, even though like some people might be, um, whether you're bottom bouncing for them or you're like you said, drop shining down, these fish are more suspended because the panoptics is showing you that. How were they feeding? Were they feeding up or what did you have to do, um, you know, the change of presentation to get them the bite being suspended? Yeah. So, um, some of the things I did is I fished, which is crazy. Like I was in maybe 30 to 40 feet of water and I would fish a weightless Sanko, uh, wacky rigged. Okay. And I just let that bait fall and those fish would come up they, most of the time they were feeding up. Um, 
and I would I would catch them, you know, 20 feet down over 40 feet of water. The same thing with the, the hair jigs. A hair jig, you know, doesn't necessarily need to be fished on the bottom. And so I was playing the game where a lot of times I was fishing vertical and I would hold the hair jig above them. So if I saw fish, let's say down uh, 30 feet in 40 feet of water, I would let my hair jig go down 25 feet and I'd just keep it above them. And they would come up just like you would think about fishing, like when you ice fish, you kind of lift the bait up in the water column. The same thing holds true in the summer too. Yeah, and and that's what Pyanoptics is to me. Like I'm thinking as you were describing it and going through, or I'm sorry, live scope, um, and you're going through and describing it to me. It's relating right back to ice fishing for me because you're you're seeing a live view of what those fish and how they are reacting to your bait, and that's usually the difference. Um, a lot of the time in the winter time, with the fish being so um, you know finicky and or just not as active because of the, the colder temperatures or whatever, to get them to react you have to sit there and look at your, um, you know, your unit to see what, how they're reacting to the bait. Are they, are they biting it on the bottom? Cause you're, you're disturbing the bottom. Are they feeding up? Um, are you just, you know, setting it in front of them and, you know, giving it a couple, uh, you know, twitches here and there. I feel like the live scope is doing that for you now in the summertime where, um, and, and other times too, where it's like, you know, your, your traditional methods aren't working. What can this live scope now tell me, give me advantage over, something that I, I it, you know, if I didn't have it in the past or, you know, somebody else, you know, the boat next to me who's not getting bit, how can I get those fish to react? Yeah. I think it's a really good way of, of, of trying to define it. Like we're using a live scope very similarly in the summer as what we, what we would do, um, at, when we ice fish in the winter. And mm-hmm. I, and honestly, my live scope, uh, I have, I, I bought another one. So I have one on my boat and I have the, the bundle as well. And what it did for me ice fishing last year was incredible as, as well. It just, um, I mean, I, it, again, it gives me this idea of some, I get a lot more I- information and data than I get from my Vexlar. And I love the Vexlar. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, um, I had fish screaming in and I, I would have thought for sure they were Northerns cause they would come in like just charge in like crazy out of nowhere and they'd hit me last winter and it was, they were walleyes and you could see just how aggressive they were. Mm-hmm. And I would never have guessed that a walleye would be that aggressive in the winter. Um, and I had fish reject me uh, <laughs> and I was much more confident about what was rejecting me too, just based on the the profile of the fish that would come through. And the same thing again, Lee, when I had multiple fish on the screen, I I, w- I knew I was going to get bit, right? Just based on the competition factor. What is um, what is the range of the live scope? So I've got this cone angle out in front of me and down below. How far, like in your opinion, that in, in your experience of what you've seen, how effective or what is the range the most effective where you can see the fish, um, you know, clear enough without it getting too far out from the boat? Like, what's the sweet spot if you were to say? Well, yeah, I'm still playing with a lot of those features and I listen to a lot of these guys that are like the, some of the more advanced pros that are fishing like the elite series or whatever and how they set their, their live scope up. Yeah. But a lot of like, a lot of the times like on, um, when I'm walleye fishing, I'm probably fishing between eight and 15 feet of water. And so when I'm in that kind of depth, I can see, like, I usually have my range set up about 50 or 60 feet out in front of the boat. Okay. Which is a, a little bit 
less than a full cast. I can make a longer cast than that a lot of times. And so I don't see what's happening at the very end of my cast, but I'm pretty quickly seeing what's going on. Um, As you're retrieving it back to the boat, whether they're swimming up to your bay or whether, you know, you don't get, you don't see anything. Yeah. Um, and then when I'm in deeper water, I can have it set a little bit further away. So, um, and there's, there's something about that factor when I'm in like, like a lot of times when I'm out in upstate New York, I'm probably fishing more in that 25 to, you know, 45 foot range. And so it seems like at that point I get, I can get things out a little bit further from the boat, but again, it's not really helping me that much because my cast, I'm not making a cast that's that generally that's further away from the boat than that. Right. So, um, but what it does do, like you said, I mean, there's guys that won't even fish until they see fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think there's value with that. I think a lot of times if I'm putting my live, live scope into the water, you know, I'm, I'm most of the time it's happening for me when I'm deploying my trolling motor. So I put my trolling motor in, you know, if I'm not marking fish, I'm not sticking around in the area. I'm going to move. Um, and, and that's specifically, that doesn't, it, it, that's the same whether I'm fishing for smallmouth or walleyes. I do not want to be in a spot where I'm not marking fish. Right. Um, what, what's cool about the live scope too is you can discern fish in the weeds. Whereas when you're using a traditional sonar, it's, it's very difficult to do that. And I find it very difficult as well to use a side, a side view or a side imaging type of, uh, of, uh, display. You know, a lot of guys feel really confident on their hummingbirds showing where the different, um, fish are. And to me, I just have never felt that confident, but when I'm looking at the live scope, I know they're fish because they're moving. Yeah. You can see them moving around, swimming around, you know, just like the name says live, you know what I mean? You're not yeah. guessing at a shadow behind a rock on your side imaging, um, right. like a lot of guys use when they're trolling or if they're pulling up to, um, you know, some structure that's between the shoreline and them and the boat and things like that. Um, that was actually going to be one of my questions. How, so I'm assuming, you know, obviously this unit is probably is the most effective off the bow of your boat. What do you still have? What do you still run in the back? Like, are you still running, um, some electronics in the back of your boat, meaning like your traditional, um, deucer off the back where you're, you can do that down imaging scan or you can do the side imaging scan. Yeah. But a lot of guys are putting the, another tran- transducer in the back live, and live scope again, a live scope in the back too. Cause they're seeing, they can see fish off to the side of the boat as they're, as they're trolling or running planer boards. Okay. They can, uh, a lot of times guys are using, uh, like, especially if you have a tiller style boat, Yep. Uh, you'll see guys that'll put their transducer it's let me see if I can describe this if it was on the on the stern of the boat there's uh on the transom it would be instead of kind of like where a lot of transducers are are um, mounted it's almost on the very edge edge of the of the the boat either on the starboard or the uh, the port side a lot of times it seems like they're putting it on on uh, on the port side but it, um what it's do what what it's giving them a, uh, the ability to do to do then is if they're sitting and fishing off the back, they're a lot of times they're sharpshooting these fish. Right. So they'll just run over the top of fish and they'll drop down right on top of them. And, um, you know, they're seeing exactly what's going on that way. And I do think that would be really fun too. So what I'm trying to do, and I haven't been able to do this just yet, but I want to have a mount in the back of the boat and the front of the boat. So clients in the back can swing that transducer and, and find fish uh, when they're fishing in the back. Right. And 
do the same thing in the front too. Which I think that getting back to what you said, I think would be very advantageous and I guess it would be more enjoyable for, you know, your clients who might not fish all the time, especially like on the Detroit river. If you think about it, you've got like a, you've got a live scope on the front and a live scope on the back. And if you've got a screen that, you know, those clients can watch while on the river and see the fish swim around and come up through their lure. It's almost like at that point, a video game, you know what I mean? Like they're just the, 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 I would think they would really enjoy that. I mean, I've had so many clients Lee who are like, this is the coolest thing. I want to put one of these on my boat after they see it on my (laughs) boat. And and some of them, I mean, some of them are friends of mine that just came fishing with me and are actually fishermen. In fact, the guy just bought a unit today and um, he is a very intelligent, very experienced fisherman. I've learned a lot from him. And he um, saw the, the way that this, um, this technology works. And we were fishing for perch and walleyes this fall together. And, you know, he could see how the fish were interacting with his bait. And he, he just knew when he saw a fish come and, and was like right on his bait, he just, it just prepared him to get bit. Right. Um, the other, the other thing Lee, I wanted to kind of share, and, and I, I, obviously I'm really excited about this. So you have to kind of direct this conversation a little bit, but the way these walleyes would interact with my jig, um, every time I would snap that jig up, they would, they would get really aggressive. They'd come up to it and then they kind of slow down as that bait would fall. And, um, and then I, I do it. I, you know, I lift the jig again and they, they, it would just trigger them again. They'd come in and, um, they didn't always commit, but the other thing I saw is you would almost, as you were, as you were pulling that jig through the weeds or as you were, you know, snapping it through the weeds, you'd almost see the weeds like move. As a fish, I almost pictured it was like a hound dog coming in. Like part in the weeds, you mean, as it goes through like it? part in the weeds. I mean, I'm not even kidding you. That's how I would visually see it. Yeah. So sometimes the fish would just, they demanded that that bait hit the bottom. Like I can't tell you how many times this, this fall when we were out that you wouldn't get bit unless your jig hit the bottom and sat on the bottom sometimes. And um, if, if you could hold it on the bottom for a, a second or two, a lot of times you get crushed. Whereas in the past, you know, I was, I was working it too fast. I would hit the bottom and snap it up, hit the bottom, but I wouldn't let it sit on the bottom. Um, well, yeah. And then you you don't know how long to leave it on the bottom. Like you said, because obviously you don't know if the fish is following your lure. So in the past where you're like, that's not working, I'm going to rip it back up and, you know, pop it back up again. If that fish is hovering around by your lure and it's staying right there on the pause, I would leave it there a little bit and give it little right. subtle ones. I mean, if it's not scaring the fish off, then from there you start to you start to say, uh, okay, no more hard rips. Okay, when it's on the bottom, um, you know, I can wait up to, as long as five seconds and the fish is still there. You know what I mean? So now you start to X off and, you know, cross off things that you know in your mind are either working or not working. And then that's when you can kind of get your cadence and your pattern down. It's really, I mean, you just nailed it. It's really, it comes down to, for me, we built a lot of confidence mm-hmm. in in knowing what the fish wanted, not from just a trial and error thing, but actually from a visual um, discernment of what was going on, you know, in in real life. Right. Um, yeah. And so I, I just I had a really good time with that this this year. I, I I learned a lot. I'm looking forward to continuing to hone those skills. I just think that it, it's. It would be on the same level of like when you 
went back to your ice fishing analogy of having the underwater camera in place. Oh yeah. And the, the information you gather from the visual, um, Mm. situation. I'm, I'm still a huge advocate of the, the underwater camera when it comes to ice fishing. I, um, I do use it in open water too, for other things just to like look at structure, but you know, something with like a live scope would tell me a lot of what I would need to know and not have to bust out the camera because in, in a boat, it is a pain in the butt. And I don't, and I don't get my camera out, um, and ice fishing until after I've already dropped my Markham in there, meaning that I've got my depth. I can kind of mark structure a little bit on my Markham. I've some seen fish down there. And if I know I've got aggressive fish, then I'm going to set up, um, you know, the shack or the shanty for a little while. I'm going to leave it there. And that's when I kind of get more settled in and put the camera down there. And now I start to find out what kind of fish are down there. What kind of structure is it you know what bait fish am i seeing and then how are those fish reacting to my lure because that's when i start to you know i start to go through my box and say all right they're not into spoons right now they're into jigging wraps or whatever it is they're in the live bait and that's how i kind of started manipulating it that way um uh, you know i think the live scope gives you a real fast and, and listen i have zero experience with this but i'm just talking to you i can see your enthusiasm in some you know some way that i would like to use it um you know, you're getting that real time feedback. Like you're saying, you don't have to get out the camera and it's telling you exactly what you can do. You can either stay there or you can move on because the other thing too, is you can find fish, but if you got fish that aren't reacting to anything, you know, there's, there's pods and big bodies of water where you're going to be on fish and they're just not interested or they're not, you know, they're not reacting to your baits or whatever it is. Now you can drive around and find that, 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 you know, that school of fish that's more, uh, aggressive or, you know, they got the feedbacks on or whatever it is. And then you don't have to waste your time on those fish. Yeah, it's really true. I mean, I haven't experienced a lot of the things that I've watched other guys do. You know, when I look at like when I watch a YouTube channel, mm-hmm. but, um, I'm interested in going out into a basin on a lake in the winter and just putting my unit down and just panning an entire area. And then like, you know, you can, you can get on your, uh, on your screen, there's a grid that sets up and you can literally say, the, you know, cast or go and drill a hole, you know, 50 feet over in that direction. And, you know, you drill your holes over there and then you make your move over to that area. And then you put the can, you know, the, the, um, live scope down and you see where the fish are at compared to where you just drilled. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a time saving tool that instead of just randomly drilling a bunch of holes, you're, you're actually strategically moving to where the fish are and fishing for fish that are there. Well, Um, Joe, think about the other thing, you know, the waters that you and I fish up in the Traverse area, how clear they are. A big thing that's, you know, a disadvantage to us, especially when we're trying to catch walleye, for instance, on, you know, Lake Leelanau or whatever, that water is so clear at times that a lot of the times, you know, you're going to spook the fish if you get them too close to the boat in super clear water, especially walleye. So if you got something like panoptics in live scope, you can cast that way out there, see how they're reacting out there. You don't have to get any closer to those fish. You know what I'm saying? Like you can keep, you can keep them away from the boat and, and that's where you're going to catch them out there rather than having to drive up closer to see what's underneath the boat traditionally in the past. You know what I mean? When that crystal, I totally know what you mean. Yeah. And that crystal clear mm-hmm. water that I always thought was, is awesome to look at and swim in and, and, you know, look at, but for an angler sometimes when it was really clear, you know, that, that could be tough bite to get on. Yeah. We, we had some experiences this summer and I, I don't fish a lot because of the, 
because of the uh, the whole scenario of this pandemic, I I was around longer this summer than I normally am, and I had more experiences um, on some of those lakes that you were talking about, and I was amazed at how good they were. You know, I know that the mayfly hatch knocks things down quite a bit, but like after that mayfly, the mayfly hatch has kind of died down a little bit. We found the fish to be very um, accessible and the water was gin clear. And I thought we'd, I thought we'd have a, you know, um, an algae bloom a lot earlier in the summer, but that water was clear up until I left for New York. And I was, I didn't leave until about the first or second week of July. And I, a lot of the times we were fishing, um, we were, maybe we were throwing a jerk bait or whatever. I couldn't believe how many fish I had follow that bait. And I wasn't at that point, I don't think I was using, um, really capitalizing on the panoptics, uh, the live scope, but, um, but I'm just saying it was you know, like, you're right. I mean, a lot of times if, if we can catch fish away from the boat, we're going to be more successful. Mm-hmm. And if we can stay away from the structure that we're hitting and cast to the fish, um, we're going to have a lot more success in, in, in what we're trying to do. I will tell you this too, like that, when I was mentioning the watching those fish follow that jerk bait in this fall, what we would do is when we would catch some fish, it was inevitable that you would almost always spook, even if they were away from the boat, things would get spooked out a little bit. Mm-hmm. You stayed in that same area and just made your cast to the one side or the other side, you'd find that school again. It, they, they didn't go very far away. And so what I was learning in that scenario again was as I would just, I would just swing my the head of my uh, panoptics, my live scope, just a little bit to one way or the other. And I would be able to find that school again and, and key in on them. Um, and yeah. that was helpful to do because a lot of times you just wonder like, why, <laughs> why would we catch a couple of fish? And then all of a sudden we're not catching fish anymore. Right. Well, they're still there. They just have moved a little bit one way or the other. Right. Um, well, anyway, it was really cool. I, I, uh, I, I just had such a good time with that. It was every time I put that thing in the water, I was just kind of soaking up as much uh, as I could soak up. In fact, I liked it so much that I would consider buying another electronics just so I could have a map and the live scope up at the same time, a full live scope screen and a full map in the front of the boat. Yeah. I mean, th- this is good that we're dissecting this. Cause I think a lot of folks have the questions about the live scope and I'm going to ask a couple from now. I'm just thinking more of like, um, you know, a traditional angler who let's say on big bodies of water where they need maps, they need to be able to still troll and scan and things like that. Does this transducer for live scope only do live scope things, meaning like the scan out in the front and down in the boat, underneath the boat a little bit like can it go back and jump back to a traditional sonar you know i don't think it can i think it just gives you it just gives you that feature but um it really it really replaces the need for a traditional um sonar okay um again it's just the position of where you're going to put that unit and they are they are expensive i mean i will say that too uh for me i've i think i've kind of gotten lost in in how much i've been benefited rather than how much i've spent on this stuff okay and um uh and that's why i've even mentioned i'm thinking about mounting something to the back of my boat as well just to have that 
the ability to have something in the back and the front. And, and um, I would imagine there's got to be some kind of economical way to set up your boat. So you don't have to have the biggest screen on every, you know, on the, off the bow and, and at the helm of your boat. Like you can, I would imagine, like you said, like when you want to do your panoptics, you probably maybe have your bigger screen up on the bow when you're, you're casting or whatever it is. And then you can have a seven or a nine inch screen, um, you know, at the helm where you're, where you're, when you're driving for mapping or whatever. Yeah. You know, there are ways, definitely ways to do this. And in fact, I wasn't looking at buying anything, but even, uh, recently Cabela's, I think this, this past weekend and even today, they, they have some incredible deals on, um, on, on some of the, um, Garmin units. Uh, the one I have on my boat is a GPS, the GPS map series, which is kind of a, kind of the higher end series, but they also make a, um, um, a, uh, another series. I'm blanking on the name, unfortunately right now, but it is, it's an excellent series. It's the, uh, it's an, it's all, they have an ultra high definition, uh, side imaging. They're coming out with a new, uh, a new transducer this, this year that gets mounted to the back of the boat that, that just makes side imaging so much clearer. Um, it's really, really good. Um, it's called the Apple echo map ultra. That's the series that's out there and they make, uh, a 10 and a 12 inch screen that, that do have some cost built into them, but they also have like a, a four inch, a seven inch, a nine inch screen, um, that you can, that you can use that really gives you a lot of good information and you can put it on a bundle for ice fishing too. Yeah. So you've got some versatility there and that, I guess if you all year long, it's, it, it's, it definitely seems like it takes some of the sting out of the pocketbook. Right. And then you can take your ice deucer or whatever you got. If you wanted to, you could sell that and justify the cost of, you know, using that money to upgrade to this unit. And then you can use, also use it in the summertime too. So there's different ways you can get around it, but. And and they have mounts now that you can mount. Um, I mentioned the one I have that's connected to my trolling motor, but they have a a mounting system that can go on any, uh, a number of different like rails or brackets or tracks on your boat. And they have, you know, um, a, a little Ram mount that goes out six to nine inches and then it connects to a, a pole that goes right into the water and has the mount a mounting space for your for your um, live scope uh, transducer on it. So um, so anyway, I uh, I, I know that uh, one other thing I wanted to mention was this uh, this um, YouTube channel that we're starting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can get, let's let's get into that because you've educated us so much right now on live scope. I think like uh, your new YouTube channel. You've got a couple good topics now after discussing live scope here. Yeah. Well. Um, we're going to do a lot with live scope. At least that's our desire. Um, we're kind of obviously coming into the end of the open water season here, but we, we, uh, the name of our YouTube channel is connected with the, the, the brand that we have. It's, it's freshwater therapy. So if you went, um, and just looked up freshwater therapy, YouTube channel, you would find our channel. We'd love for you to subscribe and, uh, and, you know, like the stuff that we've got on there, a comment. Um, we're really looking to, to, to listen to the, the, the questions that people have. We're trying to, you know, really make it so that people can, can learn. And, um, and, and we want to use this channel as another, uh, another uh, outlet for really teaching, uh, what we're learning. Right. And a lot of the stuff that I see on, on YouTube is a lot more entertainment. And we're hoping that this is going to be content that's, that's excellent as far as just the video side of things, but it's also going to be really, um, engaging from a, kind of an educational perspective as well. 
And so we've just we've just begun. Like I mentioned, I've, I, a lot of this for me has been I've been dragging my feet because I just didn't have the confidence in the video side of things. But I've got this young guy that I'm working with. He's excellent. And um, he's excited about getting into the outdoors and, and into the outdoor world and trying to learn how to do more in that arena with video and photography. And um, I've been just super impressed. He's a great guy. His name is Isaac Painter. And so we're partnering together. Um, and because it's not being built around me, it's built around our our brand, Freshwater Therapy. We're hoping to be able to kind of uh, invite many and, and do this with lots of other people that are excited about you know, uh, exposing people to things that are very refreshing. And, you know, the whole idea with our, our freshwater therapy brand is that we want, we believe that, that water is just very restorative. It's, it's, um, it was, God made it to give us, uh, uh, to restore us and to give us kind of a, a refreshment in our lives. And, um, a lot of people need that. I mean, going through this, this whole year, I mean, people are more stressed out and, and are, are struggling more than ever. So the idea of being able to get on the water and, and have some success and learn some things, you know, it really, I don't know. I think, I think it's something that bring, would bring people a lot of joy. Oh man. Just anybody listening to this, any angler knows that I think, you know, just anytime you can get on the water, it's like, it's such a, it, you have such like high angst to get out to the water. But like once that boat's in there, or once you're at the launch, just waiting, it's like, you forget about all that other garbage in your right. life or all that other stress. And you're just like, I know once I'm out on that water or I am on the water, I don't have to think about anything other than fishing. And that's, that's something you're right. I think it's your name hits home with so many different anglers and you know, it is therapy therapy for all of us. It is. Yeah. Um, so we, we did, a we did, um, one video that we shot that I would just hi- highlight just for the time we have here yeah. is, um, couple years ago i was watching angling edge which is um you know it's al linder's crew and uh, i think jeremy smith and dan linder were on and they were doing this episode on throwing rapala ultralight cranks for panfish specifically big bluegills and we um we started to use these these crankbaits and we've had so much fun fishing for panfish with them and so we got to shoot a video and it turned out really well. I mean, we only had an afternoon and we just caught and released a ton of big crappies and some really nice bluegills and had a blast. And what we've noticed is we've kind of been doing this technique for like maybe, I don't know, I think probably the last five trips we've had that we've gone out and fished, we've primarily been fishing for panfish. I did want to catch a walleye on one of these lakes that we were fishing on and I did catch one which was great and I caught it on that little ultralight crankbait um and I we've been letting most of the fish go it's kind of like uh you know we're fishing a lake that's got some it's been stocked with walleyes it doesn't have an amazing walleye population and and um it's not like going uh, and fishing some of the lakes like you mentioned up in uh the Traverse City area or even the Great Lakes and so I've always encouraged you know, the people that fish with me on, uh, you know, on guide trips, especially when we're fishing smaller inland lakes, we try to not think about keeping limits of fish. We try to think about keeping enough for a meal and letting everything else go. Because really, if you want to keep limits of fish, I encourage people to go fish Lake Erie. That's just full of millions and millions and millions of walleyes. Right. Um, never, you're not going to hurt the walleye population there. Or 
the Saginaw River, Saginaw Bay system, which is just so full of fish that they've increased the limits just because they're afraid of a, a crash happening. Um, and so anyway, uh, this, this latest, um, video that we put together, we really like it. There, there are definitely things, some things we could have done and, and we've already been thinking about how we can improve. Uh, you know, you don't nail everything the, the, as you're, you know, kind of just, we're still kind of new, new in this process, but, um, we really had a lot of fun with it and, uh, it, it gives, it gives some good information. No, um, I, I enjoyed your guys' video because, you know, oh, cool. it, it, the, the beginning of the video, I kind of like when you guys first got out there, obviously you weren't too far from the launch, but you were catching fish right away on that technique. You started off with some uh, northern pike and then you started to get into the panfish. And when you guys were on them, you guys were hammering them. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, th- I found, yeah, exactly what you were saying. Like you guys were very, you know, straight and to the point. I thought your audio was good. And I feel like when you make an, um, a YouTube video, the quality of some of the little things that some people might overlook, like good audio and yeah. you know what I mean? Like getting the right shots and things like that. Don't overstress about it, but I think you're doing everything that keeps my attention at least that, you know, that good. I can say. And I think, you know, just like on this podcast, if I had crappy audio, I don't think too many people would listen to it. So I try to, you know, put a lot of time and effort into, um, you know, editing these, these episodes and making sure the audio is good and, you know, buying higher equipment and things like that. But um, no, man, it's, it's, it was great. I've been enjoying it. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Like how have you been enjoying the process of YouTube and what do you think about it so far? Well, again, like I think a lot of it has been, um, a real joy because I've got, I've got a really good guy working with me and, okay. um, uh, and so we've had ideas for years. I mean, I, my desk right now is cluttered with, um, action cameras and, uh, you know, all kinds <laughs> batteries of batteries and cords batteries. and everything else. Yeah. yeah. You know, SD cards and things that I'm just like, but when it comes down to it, you know, the editing process is so, you know, for me, it's just such a, there's such a learning curve yeah. that for this young guy, for Isaac, he, he just throws this stuff together and it's so well done and he does it quick. Um, we shot six videos one day in my garage, um, just tips and tricks and just some of the promo stuff that we wanted to do. And he had them all edited and ready to go by the next week. And we were going to kind of, you know, we could just put them together so that we'd have some content on uh, some of the weeks when, you know, we're kind of in this in-between season. We're supposed to get some snow tomorrow. You know, like some of these days, it doesn't get that exciting to take the boat out. Right. Um, we did get out yesterday and we, we fished, uh, the crankbait technique for uh panfish. And I, I kid you not, we probably caught, I mean, we caught well over 50 crappies and bluegills and, uh, we were only out for, I don't know, about four hours. And we, and we only kept, we kept a hand, we didn't keep any in that video, but we kept a handful, uh, for a, a meal, right. uh, last time. And we let all the big panfish go. We always try to encourage people, let your big bluegills go, let the big crappies go. Um, specifically the bluegills though, we, we got to protect the males. And so we keep, um, a lot of times we'll keep a seven and eight inch bluegill and we'll let the nines and tens go. Uh, there's something about panfish though, that when it comes to fishermen, we just have this mentality. We've got to kill everything we catch. And I told the guy that I was fishing with yesterday that it's actually really good for our souls to let fish go. I just think it helps us to not, to, to not, um, find our identity and how many fish we catch and, and keep. Uh, and then there's nothing wrong with keeping fish. Like I love eating fish. I have fish in the freezer 
from this fall. I did have a couple days where we did keep some limits of fish. Um, but it also feels really good to, to put fish back. And, and especially like when I'm fishing uh, up North, I, I kind of, in my mind have a slot limit. I'm, I'm letting bigger fish go. I'm keeping smaller fish. I'm trying to think of the breeders and, you know, and just also just giving chances for fish to live. It gives them a chance to get bigger. Maybe somebody else will catch it. And, you know, I, I prefer smaller fish to eat anyway. I'm, oh, I'm yeah. you know, I'm, I'm much more preferring that 15 to 17 inch walleye or even the seven and eight inch bluegills. I just like the way they taste. I like the way they fry up. Um, it's a preference thing. Yeah. I think people just taking a deeper thought or, uh, you know, a conscious effort to, to really think about what body of water they're on. Like you mentioned earlier, am I on a Saginaw Bay? Yeah. You can probably get, get your limit quick and you can keep your full limit. Um, you know, Lake Erie, the same thing, but if there's a special lake or a hidden spot that you really enjoy, um, you know, think about why you're there and why you do enjoy it. I really like it because it's not overfished. There's, there's not a lot of people here and I catch a decent quality fish. Um, and a smaller, smaller body of water, you know, it's going to be more susceptible to overfishing and things like that. So I think, I, I think it's a great message to have, you know, just, to, you know, take a minute and think, do I really need this fish or why am I out here? And am I here to fill the freezer or am I here to just fish and have a good time and keep one or two? Yeah. And you know, some of my friends, they don't, they don't get out very often. So when they get out, they want to keep, uh, they catch five wallies. They want to keep them and there's nothing wrong with that again. Um, it's just for the guys that fish every day. You know, the idea of keeping uh, your limit every day. And yeah, I'm, you know, I, it's, it, you, you're entitled. I mean, in a sense, you, you have the right to do that. But there, there is also this sense that when we talk about all this technology we're getting into, um, we, have, we're, we have a greater advantage than we've ever had. We have technology, sure. GPS mapping, you know, all these things. I, I think the more people that, that, that fish with this technology – I think the the we we're we're kind of we could be um we we might be at risk for for over harvesting uh on smaller lakes that that have a lot of pressure on them. Some of these lakes that you know we fish up together in uh, in northern Michigan, they get a I mean Lake Leelanau for one of them has more pressure than I've ever seen on it. it you know, 10 years ago, you didn't see nearly as many people out there as you do now. And now a lot of those people aren't necessarily being successful. But there are quite a few that are, and um, um, and so um, again, I I just share that as a as a thought. I, I love the idea of of thinking about being somebody who's helping you know manage a resource and steward it versus just you know taking um, from it. Right. And uh, um, and if you you do some of these things like like we're painting in this uh, in this video, you use these little crankbaits. You're going to find that you don't need live bait to catch panfish and uh and you will catch more fish than, than you have ever imagined um i went out the first time i went out and fished this fall um i took my my nine-year-old out and uh we had uh wax worms and red worms and um and we were set up to fish live bait and and we struggled and and i, I that night i came home and i it's like i had a dream and i remembered i'm going back to the crankbait and I'm gonna I'm gonna fish aggressive, and I kid you not. The next day I went out there, we shot our promo video, and we lit them up. And we kept, I guess our goal was to keep about ten panfish for um, a meal. We have uh, I've got a bigger family, so we had um, I think we had s seven people at the table, and we 
you know, it was just a perfect amount of fish. Um, again, we tried to, we let the bigger bluegills go. We kept, uh, s- some of the smaller ones and, um, and we said we only need this many fish and when we're done, we're done. We're just, we can just catch and release then after that. But it was really cool to kind of make some changes and, um, we went back to more of an aggressive approach and it was, I mean, it was well worth it. And so I've been using that strategy now. I, I, I don't know why I forgot about it, but a lot of times you get kind of stuck on fishing one way of fishing for like, uh, you know, let's say I'm, I'm fishing walleyes all fall and then I make a transition to something else. I forget about the strategies that I've been employing, you know, in past seasons for those type of fish. And so I just kind of had to get refreshed a little bit and, um, it was a lot of fun. It's been a lot, it's been a really fun fall. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm looking forward to, you know, more videos that you got coming out and I think you've got the right platform and attitude to, to do so. So I think, uh, you know, YouTube is something, obviously everybody knows it's a crowded space, but it's all about making it your own and, um, you know, in order to stand out and things like that. And at the end of the day, I, I think you'll be successful as, you know, as long as you stick with it and just throw content out. Yeah. I, I think that's our goal. And, you know, um, we're, we're just, we're going to have some fun with it, I think. And, and so the other thing that's really neat about it is I got to sit down with my wife and instead of just telling her about how our day went, I got to show her what it was like. Uh, see, I was, see, like I was fishing the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, it was kind of like a, a video, kind of a video log, you know? And so I'm going to be able to use some of these things too. And I'll go, okay, the water temperature was this temperature and this is what we were using and this is where we were fishing. Can I make those, can I see those same type of scenarios set up in this other lake? Um, I think I can, you know, so uh, those are the kinds of things that I'm trying to to, to, to do is I'm, I'm taking the things we're learning in one body of water and seeing how they play out in another body of water for the same species or um, for, uh, or, or for even a different species, you know, like those little crankbaits, they catch everything. I mean, you catch walleyes on them, you catch, you know, northerns on them, you catch big panfish on them. I mean, the, you know, it's just like everything eats small prey right. or small forage, I should say. So, well, and the fall um, is a great time of year to do that because they're trying to put on the feedback. So anything that's swimming in front of their face for the most part that they can totally. make an easy effort to gobble up, they're going to do it. And yeah, those. I like how you put in the YouTube video down in the notes a disclaimer, like when you put the link for what bait you were using, you're like, buy a couple of them because Pike love them. They'll snap you off. Oh man! Wait, <laughs> in that video, yeah, I had, uh, I lost one to a northern, and it was funny because I was like, oh, that felt like a fish for sure, and then all of a sudden my line went limp, and you know, um, follow your leader up, and you can feel the tooth mark and abrasions yeah, on your leader. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm fishing other lakes that are just really notorious for northerns, I'll run a, a 30 pound fluorocarbon leader, um, as my, as my, um, to, to my, to my braid. And it just keeps me from losing lots of baits. And I tell you the, it doesn't affect the, how many panfish you catch. You'd think that having that heavy braid or having heavy fluorocarbon on there would, would deter bites, but it really doesn't. So they don't care. They got to eat. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and the same in the spring or the summer when you're fishing for panfish too. Um, you just get to keep more of your lures. <laughs> well, Hey man, I, I want to thank you for, uh, coming on the podcast. Um, oh, yeah. what's the, what's where can folks find you again on YouTube? What's the name of it? It's just, if you look up freshwater therapy, okay. Oh, two words, freshwater therapy, 
and then just YouTube channel. Um, my channel will come up. And uh, if you look, um, if you're interested in just learning more about what we do, you can also go to www.freshwatertherapy.com. Um, we we post a lot of things on there. I write a, uh, I regularly write a blog. I'm now I'm going to be using that blog as a, a space to post video and blog information together. Um, and all of our information about guiding is on there. We try to, we we really are active with it. We're always posting new pictures and just updating things just so that um, you know people can see what what we're all about. And um, if you have questions. My email address is freshwatertherapy at gmail.com. And, um, and I have, you know, if you go to my website, you can even find my, my cell number. You can feel free to text me. Um, I love talking to people and helping them. Even if people aren't interested in a guide trip, but they're in a spot and they're just trying to get a sense of where things are at, I'll give you, uh, you know, as much help as I can give you. Um, and, uh, Lee, I just appreciate what you do. I, I love this, uh, the chance to interact on this stuff. And I, I would love to connect with you sometime and either get out and ice fish with you or do something in the open water season too. Anytime you want, man. Get me out there. Just give me a call. I'll be out there. That'd be fun. Maybe we could get you on a video. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I don't get in front of the camera much. I'm always behind the microphone. So I'll, yeah, get me out there and I'll see if I can uh, put my skills to, to good use. Oh, I, I bet. It'd be really fun. All right, buddy. Well, hey, I'll mark that. Anyone listening to this, I'll put that in the show notes uh, where you can go to find him. Uh, be a quick link over to his YouTube channel. And uh, hey, thanks again, Joe. I really appreciate it. It sounds good. Thanks for having me. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Joe Testa from Freshwater Therapy. Make sure you check out his new YouTube channel, Freshwater Therapy. Just type it in either in Google and or on YouTube search engine and you'll be able to find some of his videos and more videos that he's going to be posting just you know, to educate you as anglers, just what Joe just got done talking about. And also to check out uh, this podcast and re-listen to it if you have any questions about LiveScope, Garmin LiveScope. I learned a lot more about it today. Um, you know, I'm definitely going to be buying a new sonar unit of some sort uh, to get ready for the spring season. And, you know, I, I just don't know, but I'm, I'm trying to educate myself and hopefully you, the listeners, more by asking questions that I would want to know myself before making a large purchase like that, uh, in my opinion. That's a, it's a good chunk of change to throw out there, and you just want to make sure you get your money's worth to make it valuable both to you on the water, and in this instance, you can also use it on the ice as well. So... Um, as always, guys, I've got some more great podcast episodes coming your way. Um, I think you guys will enjoy the next one as well. But uh, as always, I want to thank you all for listening. Remember to head on over to iTunes and or Spotify, download or subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and um, yeah, share it with your buddies. Hopefully they subscribe to the podcast as well. We keep growing and all learning more together. So take care of each other, and we will see you guys here next time. Thanks for listening.